Hi, this is Nancy Miller from My Creative Life, and today I have Marjorie Crosby Farrell today, and she is an Australian-based uh, children's book illustrator that I happen to meet through the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators. Marjorie, thank you so much for being on this podcast. No problem. It's a pleasure. Well, so could you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Um, well, I'm actually um, a dual citizen in Rathland, Australia, and I moved to um, Australia not long after I finished my um, illustration degree, Bachelor of Fine Arts, and I've been living here ever since. And um, I've actually now lived in Australia longer than I lived in the U.S., so I'm kind of have a foot in both camps. Wow, that's interesting. So can I ask what brought you to Australia? Because that's such a big change, for, I would think, from the uh, U.S. to Australia. Yeah, well, um, there are a lot of similarities, but the, the short answer is a, a, a guy. I'm married <laughs> Australian. You know, it's a, it's a tried and true story. Oh, that must it must have been the accent. I do love the Australian accents. I always think they're very charming. Yeah, yeah, no, they they are, and and Australia's been great for me. Um, you know, lots of opportunities. Um, you know, a really lovely lifestyle. Um, so I I can't complain. Um, but most of my family is still in the U.S. Oh, okay. Or all, sorry, all my family's in the U.S. Wow. So I was wondering, um, what brought you to this art career that you, you know, that you've achieved? I was curious how you, you know, you know, got into the arts. Um, well, you know, I can't actually remember a time when I wasn't, you know, considering myself an artist, even as a, like a kindergartner, you know, I was sort of the girl who could draw, you know, as there kind of is in every classroom, you know, how everybody gets delegated their little, their little niche of what they're good at, the science person, the sports person, whatever. I was the girl with the draw. And so I've always been an artist. And my my mom is an artist, you know, an, an amateur artist, very talented, I think. Um, and my grandmother was. So it was sort of an already background. So I didn't think very much about it. Um, and so I went to, um, I think I was in high school, and I, you know, how they bring out the careers brochures. and. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, I saw a career brochure for illustration. I thought, oh, I could do this. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what I'd like to do. Because I used to go to the library and, you know, look over, look at the picture books, you know, just because I thought they were beautiful. So that, that's basically how I, how I started. And just I did a fine arts degree in illustration. And always wanting to do, um, I always wanted to do. Oh, no worries. <laughs> I always wanted to do um, children's books, but um, like a lot of people, I had to get a job. So I worked in advertising for quite a long time as an illustrator and designer. So still in arts, but not in the particular genre that I wanted. So when you were doing your bachelor's degree in illustration, did you by chance take um, some book illustration courses? Or has this been all like things you learned just from being uh, in the um, children's book uh, business? Um, no, it, mainly I think I've learned on the job, um, and I think part of that is that um, I probably didn't take any lessons that my teachers were trying to teach me in, at university. You know, like I look back now and I kind of go, "Ooh, that's what that professor meant." Um, 
and I think always you, you have to be in the right headspace to be, um, you, you have to be in the right headspace to be able to, um, you know, take in any, any particular lesson. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I agree with that. So, like, what did you do to make that transition from being a um, graphic, graphic designer and illustrator and then transitioning into children's books? Um, well, it was pretty much just a decision had to be made because um, I, with, um, with children's books, there's... The issue, issue is often payment. You get paid in, in royalties, and so it's a deferred payment. So you have to be in the financial position, actually, to be able to accept certain jobs. So uh, um, that's one factor. Um, for me, it was um, I had to amend my portfolio because my portfolio was geared towards graphic design, but then it was geared towards I, I got into illustrating a lot of wildlife for like Australian Geographics, which is sort of the equivalent to um, National Geographic. Oh, so my yeah. portfolio was full of wildlife illustrations, and I would send it off to children's publishers and think, well, they can see I can draw animals. Surely they yeah. can envisage me in um, you know, doing children's books. And I did actually get a couple of um, like wildlife um, nonfiction type picture books, but I couldn't get the narrative um, picture books, you know, the fiction narratives. And... Mm -hmm. I realize more as I go on that um, the art directors, in my experience, have been actually very literal. Mm. Like what is in your portfolio is often what they'll hire you for. And I think a lot of it has to do with being sort of risk averse because mm. they're putting their reputations on the line. There's a lot of money behind it. you know. The, so a lot of decisions go, go into hiring a particular illustrator. So they often go for more of a sure thing. So... Mm -hmm. Sorry, I've kind of segued away from the original thing, but I think what it boils down to is mm -hmm. it's having your portfolio show what you want to do. And it takes a long time to develop your portfolio. It's, it's a real commitment in your carving out time from your um, you know, work day, your day job or mm -hmm. family life or looking after kids or whatever it happens to be. Yeah. I, yes, it does. <laughs> Very much so. No, I... Um, I've kind of realized with um, what I'd done in the past, um, I really, you know, I'd kind of gotten some feedback from not so much from uh, art directors, but from other illustrators. And um, when I look back at my artwork, I go like, oh, this is what they're talking about. And then developing that portfolio for the kind of work like you're saying that you want to get. I think that's really very true. And that's kind of what I've heard from some of the other illustrators I've interviewed, they've said that art directors are very literal about what they see. So if they don't see it, they don't think you can do it. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's right. You know, like I've been hired to do um, a book about mice because I happen to have mice in my portfolio. And I just, you know, would draw mice just as a whim because they're cute, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so you can't always predict what, what's going to catch their attention, but um, it is, it, definitely is worth crafting your um, your portfolio specifically for children's book illustration because it's quite different from, you know, it was, it, I did a lot of editorial and advertising illustration, as I said, the wildlife. It's all very different because it has um, real, like, the, the way you're trying to tell a narrative and weave it in with books and, and the way that 
it's not just one picture, but it's like a, a movie and each each page is a still from a movie or a scene. So it's a continuous thing and it has to be leading on to the next pages. It's a real, very specific um, genre on its own, or, I find. Yeah. Still my favorite, but my favorite of all the types of illustration that I've worked on. Nice. Well, I can tell like in some of the um, interior illustrations that you have on your website for your portfolio, you can kind of see there's this feeling of anticipation. Like I interviewed another illustrator, um, Gregory Christie, and he said that that's also the anticipation that you want the reader to flip over to the next page. And that can be often missing in some of um, people's work. And that can really draw in an art director if you have that feeling in your illustration that they want to go, oh, what's that? what happens next? Yeah, the all-important page turn. I mean, and these are things that you just learn on the job. If I look at my drawings, portfolios, books, everything, you know, from the past, um, you know, you're hoping to be improving as, as you go along. But, you know, you didn't come fully formed out of the box knowing all these things. And I certainly wasn't taught it in school, probably because I wasn't paying attention. But... <laughs> Beside the point, um, but but that's really a really important thing. Um, and I do some mentoring of um, of people, uh, you know, up and coming illustrators, and that's one of the things that I try to teach them is, is the page turn. Um, and and you're always trying to improve that even in your your own work, you know. And I want back. Can I ask you how do you develop those characters, those adorable animal characters? Because the the ones that I saw, and even the dinosaur illustrations from uh, an upcoming book that you, I think you mentioned in the critique we were in, like it's the uh, that very appealing look to the animals that you have, and especially there's like this one poster of the Velveteen Rabbit for I think a theater play. And it's this, you know, it's that, it's not, it's realistic, it's fair, it's representation, but it's like, it's characterized in that area of the children's book. Like, how do you develop that and get away from just like, okay, I'm trying to, you know, I guess, I hope I'm being clear on what I'm trying to say, but it's like the characterization that you develop into the characters and not just like it's a strict representation of that animal. Yeah, I mean, I guess you use the the shapes of a of an animal um, as the launching point, um, and and then exaggerate them slightly. And as you said, you you take the um, try to up the cuteness factor because you know the, the appealing to children, and so you know that might be bigger eyes or bigger smile or rounded curves or something like that. Um, and but then part of it is, I guess, your natural. Um, way you look at things for example i've always um even when i did wildlife illustration um my clients used to say that my animals looked like they were smiling so even when you, i was trying to draw them quite you know realistic they always had that sort of gleam in their twinkle in their eye or something so i guess part of it just comes naturally but yes, there are the, the tools of using round shapes and, um, and, and also it changes from book to book. Mm -hmm. um, okay. Some, like maybe the editor has said that they want a different tone, okay. like they want it, quote unquote, less commercial or more literary, you know, all sorts of vague terms that keep you up in, at night wondering if you're in the right spot. 
I and I also really like your point of view like um, when I've been watching a lot of um, I joined um, something called the School of uh, Visual Storytelling online and they had um, one class um, with this illustrator Will Terry and he talks about point of view like really and you have a really good sense of point of view to make you know it much more dramatic or interesting or engaging in that um, illustration and kind of like so where do you get your ideas for your point of view um, for some of your illustrations? Oh, that's interesting that you do SBS learn because I, I still have a subscription to them because I love them and and I listen to your stuff just to keep me company because that's <laughs> that's a case. Uh, you listen to an old you know podcast or, or something and they'll say something and you're in the right position to take on board that little tidbit of information. So mm -hmm. I'm constantly learning from them and it, I have subscriptions to other you know, like schoolism and stuff as well, that I just listen to people talk about their process and you, you glean little bits of tidbits of information. But um, to answer your question, point of view, um, that's there's the emotional moment that you're trying to um, convey in the narrative. And I know, I, I remember reading something about that a picture should have more adjectives than nouns. So like a picture shouldn't be about like a cat on a mat. It should be warm or cozy um and those are the emotional moments that you're trying to get across and you know you can use color you can use value um your composition but point of view is a really um valuable tool um imagining yourself well, well should this character look isolated or um should they look like um they were ruling the world or um they're really feeling defeated you know imagining yourself as the camera um, can really help with that. So it's, it's, it's a tool. I, I see it as a tool for the emotional moment. Oh, nice. So I was curious because I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic from my questions, but when I sat in a workshop with the, um, oh, it was another one and it was with one of the editors and that was so informative. I, I, I don't know. Do you do you ever do the thing where she did like uh, she suggested doing like like kind of like you mentioned these adjectives like words that you associate with the text like when you get your um, copy for the children's book and I had never thought of doing that. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. You just like reading whatever you know you thought that it would go for this spread or whatever, and then coming up with these words that would. Um, associate with the, the things like you're saying like cozy and like warm do you do you tend to do that um from the very beginning yeah. actually I know the the workshop you're talking about yeah. um because I sat in on that as well oh, and, cool. and I haven't done it in a specific way but okay. I thought Ooh, I'm gonna try that next time um and and especially not just for illustrating but but for trying to write as well um but it's it's a different way of doing, I guess, what I, I do anyway, which uh -huh. is, you know, when I get a book, I'll, I'll write notes um, and just sort of brainstorm next to the next to the copy um, or next to the text um, and put down all sorts of, um, you know, it, it random words, anything that comes to mind for that particular um, page and, and that top level um response that that you have to it because like i did one um a while back called the crop in the 
the platypus. Oh. And one of the things that struck me about um, the text was that it had a bouncing rhythm mm. and the story is sort of a road trip, you know, the part of the platypus. It's sort of a take on the owl and the pussycat, pussycat and they go mm. on a, a journey. And, you know, you're just imagining them in this, it's a pickup truck that they're in. <laughs> And you're imagining the pickup truck bouncing along on this thing because mm. that's the rhythm of the of the text itself, and so mm. that gets incorporated into the, the illustrations. You know, so the the truck was not like four wheels on the ground going; mm. it was you know one wheel on the ground and three up because mm. it, it was always in sort of um, kiltered position because that underscores the text. But that was just one of those notes that you write down next to it so it wasn't quite as literal as hers but I thought she had a great way of pinpointing the themes mm -hmm. um you know the recurring themes because that would be another way of, of pulling them out and um uh using them in the in the in the illustrations like I'm working on one at the moment and it has the color blue in the title and you know I'll be playing up the color blue and the shadows mm -hmm. and the skies that you know everything and not hopefully not too literal but because it's, it's about renewal so it's different shades of blue so it has a real color story to it oh, but um nice. but yes she, she was great i, I really yeah. enjoyed her development i believe yes and i had never sat in i always tended to sit in the workshops with art directors and i'm so glad i I was like, you know what, they have this one, let me just go ahead and try it and sign up. And I was like, so glad to hear the perspective from an editor. I was like, I think it was the first time I had ever heard from that side. Of, and I'm sure they have so much involvement in the story and, you know, how things uh, um, progress. So I was like, oh, I would do that again <laughs> for me. That's being... Um, uh, yeah, so I just, yeah, I thought it was great. So I really appreciated that they had these online workshops because it had been forever since I, I had attended an in-person um, conference. Yeah, it was in the same year. It was um, a bit of a silver lining to, to have these opportunities. And as you say, you know, the, the editors, uh, you know, I was almost surprised she was an art director because she has such an eye for for everything, you know, just looking for the page turn, looking for space for type. Um, you know, those are real. That's real art director thinking. But um, you know, part of the the editor is is picking the moment as well. I mean, that's a big task. And uh, when you're breaking up the book, you know, paginating a book, um, and some editors like send you things pretty much paginated, and some editors let you have first crack at it, it you know it depends on your, your the particular editor or how the, that particular publisher works but um that's a really big job breaking up those moments and choosing which moments to illustrate um, and i don't know about that because i know you, you have some books under your belt as well but um i i actually find that thumbnailing the the, the hardest part of the of the whole process ooh. because once I have the thumbnails down, you know, there's a lot of work ahead of you, but you know what you're doing. Uh -huh. But the thumbnails are, you know, it's that white page syndrome, you know, <laughs> well, limitless possibilities. <laughs> and you've got to choose and pick a direction. That's true. Like I um, watched uh, Lee White. He has his YouTube channel and I was, he has a really good video that I was so grateful. Like I wish like I'd had that video like years like years ago when I was first doing 
um, children's book work or even any illustration work in general because he had a PDF and I printed it out and it gives you the steps and I was like I I had not really thought of it in literal I mean like I don't think I one of my weaknesses is I need to push myself more in that thumbnail stage because I would be in such a rush because I'd be like oh I gotta get to this uh, line art I gotta do this and I gotta get this done but that like you said it's such an important part of getting your visuals together and he does them so rough and I was like oh I should be doing rougher they've got to read clear there were a lot of things that I just wasn't doing um at that stage yeah. and I now like I'll take a break now I used to like grind them out I'd just be like sit here just like you know visual like just get it all out on the page and I would force myself but it's like for me it wasn't the best way and so now I like okay maybe I got 10 maybe go take a break or go look at some stuff for inspiration or just go for a walk and then go back and in it because I would find myself just kind of burnt out at that stage because I would be just trying so hard to get all these visuals so now I'm like if I'm more mindful about it and then I go ahead and look and then I go oh this is another avenue that I didn't think because I felt under the gun at that stage yeah, no, I I agree with you. Um, I used to rush through the thumbnails as well because I'm a details person and I wanted to get to the fun bit. But the, the thing that I've learned is not to invest emotionally in the thumbnails okay. because I think you have to keep your, um, your thinking really fluid, um, particularly when you're working with editors, you know, because a whole bunch of people are going to come to the table to work on this project. It's not just your baby, unfortunately, or fortunately, because, um, you know, usually it improves the book, even if you can't see it at the time. <laughs> and you're like, oh, that crushed my ideas. But if you keep your, your emotional mm -hmm. investment at that early stage really low, it allows you to, 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 you know, think, oh, okay, all right, they're saying this page isn't working. Um, and instead of, like, digging a trench and trying to defend that page, you go, all right, what are some other options? And if you haven't like really emotionally invested into it and you, mm -hmm. you haven't fallen in love with a particular expression on okay. a particular character of that page, then you can kind of just let it go and try a different option. Okay. Um, and that was sort of a, a big thing for me to learn because like I said, I'm a, I'm a details person and, um, you know, once, once you put that much into the details, you, 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 want to defend it but it's just not for me it, it's not a good a good thing you know not when you have to work with other people yes. and yeah share and, and do you get to be very uh, I mean do you um I found that before when I did they children's books um they really kind of were standoffish about because like I ended up working with the same author for um a couple books and then I was like well I'd really like to you know, talk to her, and they were kind of like, are you, are you sure? And then it was like, and then they gave me her email address, and we're good friends, and it was just like, um, do you get to be um, friendly with the authors that you illustrate their books? Um, yes and no. Um, I just did one, and I have one coming out with um, authors who are, you know, established authors who are my friends, um, people I know through Scooby. Um, and with both of those books, it was um, the, the books were brought to the publisher as sort of like a package deal. Oh. Um, a little hard, to, like sorry, the the one author, um, she 
had her book accepted, but she said she wanted me to do it in that on the publisher. Happy to do that. I didn't even know about that until I get a call from the publisher. Um, and another one was a book that um, a friend of mine, a friend and I um, developed together. Um, and so that that's coming out in August. Um, but other than that, no, I don't get to speak to them okay. during the job. Um, the the um, the publisher and sometimes agents are intermediaries, and and you know I can actually see the the, the sense in that, and because I think you know most of the time the authors are you know really amenable or grateful or happy to hand over the visuals to somebody else but you know sometimes they're not like mm -hmm. i have had an experience where you know the the author just was quite specific about what they wanted and i was just glad that i didn't have to deal with that and, okay. and the the publisher took what was relevant of those comments and gave them to me and you know i i did what i do. Yeah. But, you know, sometimes you just don't want to to have somebody else in your head. Sure. Um, yeah. But but yes, uh, afterwards I meet the um the authors because often you're doing promo work or something and, and they've all been lovely, you know. Oh, so nice. that's great. So I was wondering, um you do um you know you've done traditional work, you do digital work, so do you have a personal preference on the kind of, you know, your favorite type of art to make? Um, you know, I'm really enjoying the digital stuff um, simply because it, it's so useful for the, the many stages in a picture book. Um, because even after you've handed in work, you know, you're, you're at, ask for changes, you know, like, can we just move this because we've decided to make the title bigger or, um, you know, things that you just can't foresee. And so for, for those reasons, it's pretty easy. Plus, uh, with my particular style of work, um, I used to do, you know, very elaborate pencil work, and then I'd have to redraw that onto paper and um, do the painting. And so it I'm able to use my final roughs, which I do, you know, quite rendered with cross-hatching and value study and stuff. And that becomes sort of underpainting for my, my digital work because I work very, very much like I, digitally I work very much like I worked traditionally and I work opaquely. I think it'd be, maybe it'd be different if I was doing watercolor, but I haven't found for me the watercolor digitally doesn't feel the same and I can't do anything approaching watercolor but mm -hmm. it just doesn't work for me I know people are doing it successfully but I'm not <laughs> um but opaquely like more of a gouache feeling or a pencil feeling mm -hmm. I find it, it it very similar and I work in such a similar way that um you know it's not a problem at all okay so it was an easy you felt like it was an easy transition for you to switch to digital um, from working traditionally because you worked as a graphic designer. So I, I would assume that was probably because you already had a lot of the software in your wheelhouse. Yeah, I did. I didn't do a, a lot of um, Photoshop at the time. Um, I, I worked more like in design and, and 
Adobe Illustrator. Mm. So it was a learning curve on, on Photoshop. And I think I, I probably just, you know, fooled around on the periphery, maybe doing magazine work or something like mm. that. Um, and I actually, that would have been when I learned with SBS Learn, mm -hmm. um, through some of that, watching them and other YouTube videos and things like that. So it was very much self-taught with the, or, or through something like SBS Learn. Um, and, and I continue to learn and I, you know, I don't do all the tricks that, you know, concept artists and stuff will do. And I'm not terribly interested in a lot of okay. that either. Yeah. Like I said, I use it in a very traditional way. And it's probably some people will look at it and think, oh, you could do this so much faster this way, but that's kind of not the point for me. Oh, sure. I think everybody has their own kind of workflow flow for that. Um, what I did take away from uh, one of the SBS, oh, um, Lee White had a live um, Facebook um, Zoom session and he kind of went through his process and I had watched a lot of Will Terry's stuff for the digital illustration and that helped out a lot but then I always felt like I was missing the some of the texture and so watching Lee White do his illustrations I was like I'm floored because my He's like, oh, I did this in an hour and a half. And I'm just like, oh, I wish I could do that in an hour and a half. I mean, it was gorgeous. And it was just like the textures, which, and after I watched, I was like, oh. And then I started getting out all my traditional stuff. And I was just like making a mess in my kitchen using my Brer, my pin, uh, printing inks. And then I got watercolors and started splashing them. And then I've been scanning them into my um, computer and everything. So that was that was really helpful. I would have to say SVS Learn is probably one of the most uh, practical, for me, well worth the money to pay for if you're going to go in the children's book. Um, yeah, I agree. Because they're, they're targeted towards the visual narrative, mm -hmm. um, it makes such a difference because, you know, some of the other ones where you might appreciate what they're doing, it's not specifically what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And they they take on board things like you were saying, the, the point of view or the, you know, the visual narrative, the, the, the specific things that you might have to learn for children's books, like, you know, interiors, exteriors, um, characters, body language, you know, a lot of those things are really specific to, in a style to to children's book, mm -hmm. but um, but I agree with you with the um, the, the doing the uh, textures traditionally and scanning it in. That's something that I've been playing with a lot more lately, and particularly in, the, in a book um, that book I was telling you about that's coming out in August, um, because you know a lot of it had to do with you know a child's imagination oh. and the child's drawings and doing some of the crayon work or whatever in in the digitally it just didn't have the same energy as if you just scribble on a piece of paper mm -hmm. um so i just did a whole bunch of you know, textures paint ink mm -hmm. whatever and scanned it in and used that um as the, the starting point for for some of it and it actually did make quite a difference to the energy of the illustrations you know that particular story, what it was trying to say, it, it made a difference. So I'm going to do more of that. I really liked that. Yeah, and I, it's kind of fun. I was just like, oh, I haven't done this since I was like, I don't know. It just reminded me when, um, well, I taught elementary art for eight years, and it reminds me of when I was doing that with my kindergartners, and we would just 
go crazy with the paint or do like, you know, it just felt very freeing because <laughs> I have become more of like, as far as with my illustration, I get, I feel like I get a little too overly rendered and I wish like I could bring in that energy and that, um, just that gesture. Like sometimes I feel like I lose that from when I do my sketches. Cause I, um, I'll sometimes do them on my sketchbook and then I'll do sometimes on the computer and I haven't quite figured out a specific workflow yet. I think I'm happier with when I do it in my sketchbook because I feel yeah. like it just, that energy that you're talking about, it feels like it gets a little lost sometimes when I go straight into like just doing digital sketches and maybe I just need more practice and I need more work at getting proficient at the doing it digitally maybe so. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean, but then, you know, there's certain things that um, I'm kind of going used to in digi sketching digitally, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, warp things or just nudge things here and there, um, rather than, say, redrawing it, um, uh, because there's just certain things like, you know, if you can stretch a character to really mm -hmm. exaggerate their body language, or, you know, that that's just a fun way that you can play around with with stuff and it's you know without even ruining your sketch and without having to laboriously you know go over and over and over again so just to capture that gesture but I do usually do my or often do my gesture drawings um or my original like while I'm reading the text and doing that that what we were talking about where you just sort of mind map and drop you know whatever thoughts come to your head down I do that in a notebook uh, um, sometimes I'll even um, scan some of those like really one second sketches mm -hmm. who kind of got the droopiness of the character or the a particular pose and some of those actually will make it into the book oh, so I'll scan cool. it and that'll be the, the jumping off point for um, for my thumbnail uh, like you, you yeah. can actually see that that particular little scribble and the more refined version and the final rough and then the final um, thing and it's you know very much exactly what what was in my sketchbook oh nice yeah I just I feel like sometimes I you know that energy you get from that initial sketch and I'm gonna try more of um, what I saw in the live uh, Facebook session with Lee White I'm gonna try playing around with things more I'm kind of like looking at where I'm at now it's just kind of sandboxing and just trying things and just seeing like, hey, I'll just see what happens. I don't know. You know, it doesn't hurt to try. And and uh, I might find something new in the process. And uh, so, yeah, I, yeah. You were doing your, your portfolio. That's part of your, your course or that's something you're doing on top of your? Well, okay. so my thesis is going to be tied in with children's books and surface design. I've always um, really admired like some of the older like illustrators like, you know, Holly Hobby. I like um, this uh, UK illustrator, uh, Mandy Sutcliffe. I like her Bell and Boo line that she has. It's it, I, I feel like there's a nice, you can have this marriage of like with children's books and especially like some of the books I have in my collection, the, I don't know if it's the illustrator or the actual um, art director or designer on the book, but they'll take elements of um, the illustrations and they'll make them into repeat patterns for the end pages. So I, I find that really 
appealing and I took a, a digital illustration class and the professor her specialty was in surface design and art licensing and I did a surface design it was for um, for a baby's like fabric for onesies and blankets and I really liked it I was just like wow I this is fun I don't know it's something about um, repeating things and figuring out like how they're gonna fit and then so I just like this idea of taking the story of a I don't know just and taking those elements and how can you reimagine them and tell a story in pattern so um yes that would be part of my portfolio sorry that's a long <laughs> answer but so I would have uh, children's books and surface design that goes with the the children's books um part of it so that's that's what I'm interested in so it would be my portfolio that hopefully I can use when I leave um school and try to get work in that area so um yeah so I'm Australian illustrator called Aura Parker. It's A U R A Parker, um, and she's actually a textile designer. Um, but that um, patterning yes. really comes across in her, her illustrations, uh, uh -huh. which I find interesting. Um, partly because, well, I mean, her work is beautiful, but uh -huh. um, partly because it's so different from my own um, way of thinking because she thinks generally speaking it's it's kind of almost two-dimensional uh -huh. things uh, she, she she conveys space by having things larger in the front foreground and smaller in the background so so there is some three-dimensionality but the, the characters themselves etc are are so two-dimensional whereas for myself, I'm, you know, I yeah. think in terms of volume, mm -hmm. and and so I just look at people who who can create that way, and with my mouth hanging open, thinking that's really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I just have no idea how you do it, though. Yeah, it was on Instagram. I was going through my feed or just searching, and I came across this um, illustrator based out of Italy. And I hope I say her name correct, but it was Nicoletta Pagano. I think that's how you say her name. But she took like Snow White, she took these classic fairy tales and she turned them into these surface designs. And so by the end of the re, uh, the repetition, you saw like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves and the characters and like some of the main scenes. And I was just like fascinated. I was like, oh, that's a little bit more than just taking some elements and repeating it. So I was, I was like, that's really cool. Well, very cool. Yeah, so. Yeah. I've written that one down. I'll have to check her out. And the other one, Mandy Sutcliffe, and I'll, I'll have a, a little squeeze. It's always interesting to, to um, see new illustrators and see what they're doing. Yes, definitely. And, um, but thank you for, you know, just sharing how your process is. I think that's very, you know, I don't know. To me, it's about process. I think it's, I've realized because you get this book in your hands, but all the work, all that initial work that happens and that if, if somebody's not familiar and they don't realize, like, it's a course of six months to a year working on a story and doing the illustrations, like, it's, 
a process and so what initially starts and then what the end is it's like you know it, it could have made a you know 360 or something like that so it's I I you know just it I, often does yeah I think that would be one of the things that um that was hard to learn and has been a big help to me is trust the process mm-hmm. you know not so overwhelmed by changes or just what's looming ahead of you or you know you're just taking it one bite at a time and you're trusting that you're going to get there and you're not um you're not putting the time to be super self-critical and edit on the stage where you're just throwing down ideas you know you just you have to trust the process figure out what your process is and inevitably you're going to go through a stage in any particular drawing that it just looks ugly and you think oh my god I know nothing but you um if you trust the process and you realize that you know 99.9 times you come out with a better drawing or, or with a good drawing if you just push through that stage um that for me that made a difference because um it can be kind of an overwhelming uh, project I mean, I guess it's a bit like you with your um, your thesis or something. Mm. To, it could be overwhelming sitting at the beginning and think, oh, my God, I have all of this in front of me. It's to be, you know, striking, memorable, unique, whatever. I mean, it's a lot easier to say, okay, well, we're going to start with, you know, step one. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I, you know, and there's something about the discovery part I've really enjoyed, like, I don't care as, I mean, I do care about the end product, but it's all the little experimentations. Like I interviewed um, a young lady who is a surface designer for uh, Kohl's here in the U.S. And uh, she has these gorgeous sketchbooks. I feel like, and it inspired me to go like, you know, but they're like, you know, she's experimenting, but they, the experimentations look beautiful. And I go like, I, I would like to try that. Like, why haven't I tried that? Because I either, either really just horrible, like just rough sketches and I, or I don't really, um, I don't know. I don't play around with materials as much. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to try that more. I'm just going to like, you know, go with the materials and see where it takes me. And then, you know, so yeah, I can tell, uh, for her, it was a lot about experimenting with whatever she was using, watercolor, pen and ink, or I don't know. She was, press flowers she was just doing a lot of mixed media you know so I was like oh I haven't really done that and so I feel like I've, I really want to get back into just that sandboxing yeah no that's that's really cool and it's uh enviable I I guess I often feel like um I'm working towards a deadline and probably don't carve out enough time to do that sort of stuff but that you know speaking with you I, I've been thinking a lot more about doing just some more traditional work um just because I miss my pencils, oh, <laughs> you know, I miss, yeah. the, um, you know, sharpening the pencil or, you know, the sort of so-called happy accidents when you use paints. Yeah. Um, so that, that'll be something that I'll, I'll, I'll get back to soon. So I was curious, so how do you stay motivated? Because I know you're very busy. You were, you, when I contacted you originally, you were like, I was on deadline for a project. So you're very busy. How do you stay motivated? How do you find time for those um, personal projects? for your- <laughs> um, Well, truth be told, a lot of the personal projects get um, pushed aside. Like I'm, I'm moving through, you know, my, uh, my own book, mm. uh, my something that I'm illustrating. 
Um, and it kind of got pushed aside, you know, just because of deadlines. Um, motivation. Um, I'm a deadline girl. You know, I always structure myself really um, tightly. Um, and so I'm always going just from um, deadline to deadline to deadline yeah. in a very intentional way. Sure. Yeah. That, that's how I, I, I think. You know how they say so there's some people who fly by the seat of the pants and some people who are um, planners. I'm a, I'm a planner. <laughs> so he, even if like even if I have a low and I don't have anything to do, mm-hmm. I um, schedule myself into deadlines. You know and that would would be say a, where you might do a squidding competition okay. or uh, something for you know I, I remember doing one as the SBS learned doing one of their monthly things because I thought no I feel like giving you something just for me but I did it to their um deadline like it was due by x date and that way I was like no you know even if I feel a bit tired I'm actually going to be working on this so deadlines that's what gets me through (laughs) isn't that awful no no I mean everybody's got to find their way to to make it work I don't think there's any you know, that's the thing when I talk to all these artists, it doesn't matter what you do, you know, whatever they're doing creatively, it's like whatever works for them, you know, and so I, I look at it as like, huh, you know, I'm, I'm willing to glean whatever, you know, I could try that and see if it works for me or, you know, um, apply some of those <laughs> concepts. So what, I find it helpful. What do you do to stay motivated? You know, it, it has been the personal projects. I think I just teaching is wonderful um and you end up you know really enjoying seeing what the students will make but it's been having the time to really delve into like i have had my graduate classes i have assignments in there but it's been so nice to like say okay this thesis is really my personal project and this is what i want to do so i everything i have been doing it kind of rotates around that but it's like experimenting in order to apply it towards my thesis so yeah that's what yeah. I really enjoyed and like part of it has been researching like talking to you talking to surface designers and it's been really motivating to hear everybody who's artistic their journeys are different in the sense that like we kind of have maybe a sense of what we want for our outcome creatively we want to be fulfilled and we want to do this for a profession um but there's not one particular set way of doing it every single person i've talked to has a completely different journey that they've taken um and it's made me feel like um very hopeful because i haven't taken the traditional necessarily route in my career so i go like I took a 10 year break. Is that going to hurt me? No, I don't think so. From what I've talked to everybody, it's really what I put into it. And, you know, it may not even be exactly the path I'd envisioned by the end of it. And I'm okay with that. That's okay. Because I was talking to, she's a surface designer now, and she has done surface designs for major fashion houses and stuff. But she was a MFA in painting. And she worked in advertising like you did, and she really wasn't fulfilled in that. And she, her friends were like, why aren't you, you should do something in fashion, textile design, that would be perfect for you. And so one of her friends told her, hey, 
I've got a job for a textile pattern design that you could do, but you need to do your portfolio, redo it, and if you want it, this job is yours. And um, so she redid her portfolio and got this textile um, freelance job, and it's been go, go, go ever since. And now she has her own uh, line of products, and she does her own textile designs, and she still freelances, but it was really inspiring. So I just look at it like, you just never know where it's going to take you as long as I, I guess I get to do the work that I like. And if I can, if I can make it as a full-time living, I've gotten more practical. I used to be very like, oh, it's, it's okay. I'll do it for, you know, I'm getting paid. You know, it's like, it's a low. And I just was like happy that I was doing artwork, even though the sum really didn't match the amount of work that I was putting into it. And now I'm kind of like, oh, I need to get paid for this. This is, I put a lot of time and effort into it. And my work has value. And I think it's having that mindset of realizing that what I do has value and that I need to start, if, if I don't put a value on it, other people will. And I might not agree with that necessarily. So yeah, so getting better at negotiating, running it, and treating my art like it's a business. That's been the hardest thing for me. Yeah, no, that's, that, that's, always, um, that's always a tricky one. But, you know, you're talking about the path that you go on. And I think what, like what you've done in the past, it's it still informed what you're doing now. And, I, I mean, part of me looks back and thinks, oh, gee, I wish I had done more children's books earlier. And I had, you know, pushed myself to... Um, update my portfolio or whatever um but i'm not you know i was a different person back then and you know i didn't know a lot of the things i know now so you know i i don't think that you can necessarily look back and think mm -hmm. you know it would have been better doing something earlier because it's it's all those little twists and turns that you took on the, along the way that that put you in the position that you are in now Yes, and I um, think it's true. And what you mentioned, mindset, I think for that was that mindset that you, what your information that you got earlier, maybe it didn't quite make it home to your brain. And I, for me, it was, it's been now. And I like, oh, I finally get it. It's taken me all this time. But yeah. now I do. And now I take it to heart. And I go like, these are the things that I need to do in order to kind of get me in the ballpark of where I'd like to be. That's right. And, and I think, um, you know, it's been great just community like, you know, Swibby or, um, mm -hmm. you know, even like SBS Learn or any of these other things or connecting with someone like yourself where you're talking about it, you become enthusiastic about um, the, the artwork or the process or the craft. And, you know, that, that just keeps you, you buoyed up. And you, you're mentioning too that your, um, your thesis being your personal project and everything coming back to that. And I think in a little bit, um, you know, the, the book projects are sort of mm -hmm. your personal project in a way because you do put a lot of yourself into it and mm -hmm. you're constantly thinking about it and your ideas about it are constantly evolving and yeah. I think it would be great if I were, you know, spending a year doing yeah. um, a, an annual report for mm -hmm. a, you know, a seed company or something mm -hmm. like, you know, like something yeah. that was really more on the advertising side, sure. which I, I really get behind. Whereas if I'm doing it for children's book, which is yeah. something that I'm very interested in, um, it makes such a difference. It, so I think the overlap of personal project and you know that it happens to be a commission project, um, it, it's kind of hard to tell at this point. Oh yeah. 
And I was wondering, because your work is, um, you've been doing more digital illustration, do you, do you make prints of your illustrations and get prints made of it? Or, you know, I'm just curious, because it's beautiful work, and I would think, like, um, some people who are parents would be like, oh, I love this book, and I love this scene, and I would love to have this in my, in my child's nursery. Yeah, no, occasionally, I, I've, I've done that mainly for gifts, and um, it is something I should get into, but um, sometimes you look at the illustrations um, and without the, the text on them, they, sometimes they don't work as compositions without gotcha. the weighting of the text, or at least I feel. So on the occasion when, you know, like say that rabbit one, uh -huh. that would be something that, you know, works okay as a on a, as a composition, as a print, you know, mm -hmm. to go in the hall. So it's something that I, I think about. Um, but truth be told, I, I've sort of just had my nose to the grindstone and haven't um, explored a lot of those sort of tangential good opportunities mm -hmm. um, just because I've been, you know, what is it, like that swan that looks okay on the surface but is paddling frantically below. <laughs> You know, just with deadlines, I, I've, I've, I've had a few back-to-back uh, -back books, oh, wow. um, and so that just has had my focus at the moment. But I think it's a great opportunity, something to do in the future, definitely. And, and the, the prints that I've, I've seen um, of my own, the, yeah. is it Glycine prints, Glycine yeah, prints? I think, yes, I think it's something like that. Yes, they're the ones that have the, they're like a hundred years old, like, La the color on the prints and stuff and they're very nice high quality oh yeah they're, they're beautiful um the ones i've i've seen of other people's and of my own mm -hmm. um reproduction so yes yeah, something to look into definitely and then I wanted to ask you, because I saw on your website that you have an agent, so it, and then, but then you have projects that you've done and teamed up with an author, so mm -hmm. I was curious how that works, the relationship, like, I never had an agent, because I was never making very much money off of the, I worked for very small uh, trade publishers, so I never looked into having an agent, um, but like, uh what's that kind of like as far as the agreements that you have with your agent when you you know you have those side projects is that all umbrellaed under with the agent or does it depend uh, i think it depends on um like i speak to different illustrators and they have different agreements um some people have like a commercial agent and it's to do with say editorial work that maybe they do overseas some people have a publications agent uh, mine is just uh, publication, so it's oh. not to do magazine work, etc. Okay. Oh. And um, and it, it's sort of a it's a difficult thing to say if you need an agent or not. I don't think you necessarily do need one here. Um, although there are some publishers that are closed to um, submissions but you know once you know the publisher you can send things to them directly I, mm -hmm. I, I actually most of my work myself oh, um, okay. so, uh, like I think there was yeah most of it's just come myself just because I know people or you happen to be in the right place so you know back in the bad old days we used to just send out copies like photocopies of your your work by snail mail mm -hmm. I guess it's equivalent of 
doing postcards or something like that. And every time I sent it out, I got some work. Mm-hmm. But that often happened to be, you know, your particular style crosses the um, the desk of the art director at a particular time. You know, a lot, there was a lot of chance involved in it. But, um, but I used to just do that. And mm-hmm. then now I, like I know most of the publishers and the, and the art directors here. And I just okay. send them updated images and... You know, it's kind of a long game. Um, like they might be thinking about you. They might have something for you now, but you have to keep popping up under people's noses because, you know, you have to be there at that moment where they're considering a particular project. Because like I said before, mm-hmm. often it can be quite literal. Okay. Um, like, oh, I've got a mouse book coming up. Mm-hmm. Here's a mouse. Um, you know, so it can actually be... That quick. So uh, in those cases, I don't think an agent really helps. But then there are other cases where an agent can be um, looking for other opportunities, like getting you into anthologies or or maybe suggesting um, marketing or even packaging you up with other people that they represent if they represent um, um, authors as well. So I'm, I'm sort of, you know, bit ambivalent about the whole agent thing. Um, but but I do believe it's different in the in the US. Like the, the, I've heard a lot of people say that they're closed except for agented submissions. So but then it always seems to be a little bit different for illustrators, mm-hmm. you know, because you can send postcards. There are other backdoor ways you can get your samples to people. That's very helpful. Yeah. I mean I it's been 10 years but I used to just send out a postcard (laughs) like you said I just would mail get my mailing list together and I would go to the bookstore back in the day when people would go to (laughs) go to the coffee shop go to the bookstore so I would go through all of the children's books in the uh, children's book section and I would write down the address of the book publisher and then I would just Google it. <laughs> and I don't know if things are like that now, but I, um, the first book contract I got, it was literally the art director. No, it was the editor. She called me and she said, you know, I got your postcard and it was exactly what I was looking for. And I want that for the cover. And I was like, oh, okay. So it was interesting. You know, like you, like you said, they're very literal. Um, and then another book publisher I got, because I did the monthly contest, this was years ago, and I was like, okay, I'll do the contest for the Society of Children's Books, Writers and Illustrators, so, and mine happened to get in the top three, and the, the uh, art director, no, it was the editor, I guess it was the editor, art director, I forget, it was so long ago, but they contacted me and emailed me and said, I saw your artwork and we would love to work with you. And I was just like, really? <laughs> I'm just really shocked. It was not necessarily always the way that I thought I would get find people would people find, find me, I guess. I don't know. But, and that sort of serendipity is, is what I mean by, yeah. by working with the agents. Um, I mean, I've had some, like my very first uh, children's book, was when, you know, it's exactly opposite of the the story that you're meant to do. Um, A friend of mine, who's a very accomplished writer, um, wanted to do a picture book, and she asked me to do a sample illustration, and at that time I was doing, that's when I was working in advertising, and absolute uh, children's books, like as in the the business of it. 
And so I just did an, a, a sample and she sent it off with a package to Penguin Books and they wrote back and said, well, we don't want your manuscript, but we want your illustrator. Oh. And um, my, wow. that's how I got my very first book. Wow. And my, my friend was like, oh, great opportunity for you. You know, yeah. she, she, she understood. Writer. Yeah. That's awesome. But, that's great. So, but then yeah. I, I've had other ones uh, just like that where I've sent off some samples and they happen to land on the desk of an art director. And she rang up and said, this is exactly what I'm looking for for a particular book that she was working on. Yeah. How, you, can't, you can't plan for that sort of thing other than by continuing to create artwork mm. and sending it out to the world. Gotcha. So just keep sending stuff out. And I think I really like the thing, I go back to SBS Learn, but it's Jake Parker said, and I, and I really uh, love this thing. He always says, um, finish, but not perfect. And he says, if you never finish something, and that's so true, if you'd ever finish it, you're never going to have anything finished to send out. And so, you know, finish, but not perfect. And then, you know, you have something and you can always build upon that. And so I always like that, what he said. So uh, I agree with that 100%. Um, you know, you just have to, you do, you have to be in it to win it. Um, they're, they're actually very clever, those guys. I really like yeah. them. I know. I've I've binge listened to all their podcasts on I'm always like, when they're gonna put out another podcast? I'm like, I've really enjoyed it. And I know some people say they get they get kinda off on tangents, but I actually find it very entertaining and uh they are just really they're very insightful and honest, I think. I I feel like um they don't overtly sugarcoat how, you know, it's a wonderful profession to be in but you will work really hard and you'll find like, you know, that things don't always work out exactly X, you know, X, Y, Z or whatever. And that these things might come up. And so it's been really helpful and it keeps me motivated to keep working. So I listen while I'm drawing or sketching. So I do as well. I listen while I'm drawing. Like I said, you know, I could have listened to a particular thing before and not have gleaned something until you're at that moment where you where you're ready to absorb the information you're like oh no <laughs> you know maybe I should have picked that up the first time around but you know you, you absorb that little little insider it just happens to be what you need at that moment so yes they keep me company a lot so was there anything that you would tell yourself if you could get into a time machine and go back to when you were first starting your career that you would, you know, tell yourself that would help you out in your art business? Oh, gosh. Um, I think, um, uh, well, I think most of the stuff we discussed, which mm. is, you know, process or um, um, be involved in the community, you know, make connections with people. Um, well, even a lot of the stuff that, that's touched on with, with Scooby, you know, just... Mm practical things about the visual narrative um, I don't think I could limit it down to to one little thing it's just yeah. the stuff that you've accumulated over the years but maybe trust the process okay or maybe not stress out so much about it it'll get it'll get there <laughs> yeah. yeah 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 it's all evolving it's a moving target you just go with it 
So my last question is one of those deep uh, questions. So at the end of your life, you've made all the artwork that you've wanted and you've lived a full life. If there could be nothing left behind of your existence but a note you've written with three final truths, what would those truths be? <laughs> oh, that's a, that's. Uh, I have trouble being very earnest on something like that. I think I would just um, make a joke of it and do a drawing and make people wonder what the meaning of it is. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I'm not a very, not a font of um, wisdom, so I, I would just um, do something silly like that. And, um, yeah. Well, thank you so well, much you. for being on my podcast and giving all this great professional information. Your work is beautiful and delightful. And um, I have enjoyed just um, getting to know you, Marjorie. So thank you. That was a fun chat. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me along. I, I really enjoyed it. Well, everybody, this is um, My Creative Life. Thank you for listening. <laughs>